So when elderly Adele Gabry went missing, her concerned neighbors in Worcester, Massachusetts called the police. Well, her brother told the police that she had gone to a nursing home, so that seemed to suffice. Well, a neighbor noticed that the mail was starting to pile up, and when he went to open the door, like hundreds of pieces of mail fell out. So he called the police again, and they called the post office, and they had the mail stopped being delivered. Well, her next-door neighbor paid her grandson $10 twice a month to keep Miss Gabry's lawn mowed. And then her son noticed that during the winter, a pipe must have frozen and water was pouring out the front of the house. So they called the utility company. The utility company came and turned the water off. Well, eventually, uh, while the neighbors were working so hard to keep the outside of the house up, the police had to come and inspect the inside of the house for health hazard. And unbeknownst to everyone, when they went in to the house, to their surprise, Ms. Gabbery had been there the whole time. But unfortunately, she had passed away from natural causes four years earlier. And while the neighbors were working so hard to keep the, the external house up, the facade and the respectable appearance was hiding what was actually going on on the inside. And y'all, isn't that like us people as well? We can have a proper exterior that masks a spiritually dying inside. We can have a lot of religious activity happening around us, while inside we're slowly experiencing a spiritual death. What we need is life, not a tidy facade. Well, today we're getting ready to hear the fifth of the seven letters that were read to the churches in Revelation. And today we'll hear the letter that's written to the church in Sardis. And the warning, the warning that was given to them was that on the outside they appeared to be alive and well. And on the inside, much like Miss Gabbery, they were instead a dead church. Now, I want to first of all say how glad I am to be back in the pulpit. Um, I've missed you all. I've missed you, and it's good to be back. I've had several folks ask about what all happened at annual conference, and so this week I will send out a blog that will summarize um, what, has, what has happened. I also want to thank you for being so supportive and receptive to our Duke Field Placement interns that both preached last week, Quincy and Bailey. I am so grateful for a church that values investing in our future um, clergy leadership. So thank you for that. Thank you for your support uh, for them. Now, um, Today, we are going to hear from uh, this letter to the Sardis, but since it's been a while, I want to take a moment and remind ourselves a little bit about what we know from those first three chapters about the letters to um, the churches in Revelation. First of all, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to John of Patmos, okay? Now, so these words are coming from Jesus. Um, John if we remember, is not the Apostle John like a lot of people think that he is or was. He was just a prophet, not just, but he was a prophet from the province of Asia. 
Now, Revelation is also known as apocalyptic literature, which means it uses weird, funky images and metaphors, uh, but its primary purpose is to offer a word of hope and encouragement to people who are suffering or being prosecuted, um, persecuted. And its ultimate message is that good triumphs over evil. That's ultimately what its purpose is. We also learned that this letter was meant to be read aloud so that you could hear uh, the, the imagery and hear the story. And important to remember is that all of these letters were sent to all of these churches, so they were hearing what was being said to their, those neighbor cities and to those neighbor churches as well. And then finally, um, Jesus is serving as both comforter and judge because he is sending these messages that are catered to each one of these churches very specifically. And his ultimate purpose is to help each church and each member become better disciples. That's the goal here. That's the heart intent here. Now, our final kind of prompter reminder is to take a look at the map of the churches again. These seven cities are located in modern-day Turkey, and they were all urban cities. And so this was part of how in the world do we express Christianity in um, the—oh, yeah, skip that one. Um, how we express the—yeah, skip that slide. Yeah, that's the one. In all of the urban cities, how does Christianity get expressed and lived out in these very busy places? We are at our fifth church, which is Sardis, and if you'll notice, it's pretty far inland. Um, it had a reputation of being safe. It was not easily attacked. It was rich, a rich city. They were super comfortable uh, because they were located high on a hill. And actually, if you can go to the next slide and you can see a picture of how that is, um, how it, it played out geographically for them. So they were quite comfortable. They had become complacent in their security and their comfort, and this should have been a red flag for them. Um, they were a city that had everything going for them. Um, but now, let's hear what Jesus had to say to the church at Sardis. From Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Write this to the angel of the church in Sardis. These are the words of the one who holds God's seven spirits and seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, and you are, in fact, de dead. Wake up and strengthen whatever you have left, teetering on the brink of death, I've, for I found that your works are far from complete in the eyes of my God. So remember what you received and heard. Hold on to it and change your hearts and lives. If you don't wake up, I will come like a thief and you won't know what time I will come upon you. But you do have a few people in Sardis who haven't stained their clothing. They will walk with me clothed in white because they are worthy those who emerge victorious will wear white clothing like this. I won't scratch out their names from the scroll of life, but will declare their names in the presence of my Father and his angels. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. 
This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Open our ears, O Lord, to hear your word and know your voice. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills that we may serve you today, now, and always. Amen. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, I believe a very large majority of churchgoers are merely unthinking, slumbering worshipers of an unknown God. Whoa, that's a little harsh sounding. Um, But I wonder if Spurgeon had just read Revelation's letter to the church at Sardis when he thought that. Because the chastisement in this letter is that the church is just going through the motions. They have the reputation of being alive, says verse 1, but in fact they are dead. They have an excellent reputation of having their act together and being envied across the province. But in God's eyes, they are far from complete. Maybe they're unthinking, slumbering worshipers who've gotten a bit sloppy, a bit careless. They've put on a famous facade, and while all looks good on the outside, it's rotting away on the inside, falling further and further from the Spirit of God. Jesus warns them to wake up while they still have the chance that he will come like a thief at an unexpected time and they won't know what hit them. Well, that might echo to us of some of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, but here's why this had particular meaning to the people of Sardis, because they knew their city's history, right? The people of Sardis would have known that in 549 BC when King Cyrus was coming through to conquer all of Persia, they came upon the city of Sardis and it was up on the hill and they decided they were probably just going to pass on by because that was not going to be a very easy military victory for them. But as they camped nearby, a Persian soldier was watching and a Sardian soldier on top of the wall dropped his helmet accidentally. So he went down to retrieve it, and in doing so, he revealed a secret passageway into the city. The soldier, Persian soldier, was watching. So that night, he took some of the soldiers in with him. They entered the wall, they entered the city, and within hours, Sardis had fallen. Now, 60 years, just 60 years before this letter would have been read, They also had experienced a terrible earthquake that devastated the city during the night while everyone was sleeping. So to hear a warning that they didn't wake up and pay attention, they would be caught off guard, helped them particularly move from a place of complacency to actually hearing what Jesus had to say to them. We know no church is perfect. In actuality, all of these churches were plagued with the same thing, external conflict and internal tensions, not unlike the church of today. But be warned, if a church grows comfortable and complacent, then Jesus will remind them what Jesus said all along, being faithful brings with it challenges. Now, the trouble in Sardis does sound awfully familiar and realistic, doesn't it? Does does the church of today ever struggle with putting on a facade and keeping the outside looking good while the inside is struggling? 
I wonder if people on the outside catch a glimpse of authentic community and Christ-like love being shared. Do they see a place for them? Or does it feel like maybe they just aren't good enough to be a part of what's happening inside? And maybe even harder for us to consider is the potential facade that we create in our own lives so that we look put together on the outside, but we're aching on the inside. Something that's supposed to be important to us begins to feel hollow and empty. We share niceties but on the outside, but we keep, in order to keep peace, but inside we really want to ask hard questions. And we want to yell at the top of our lungs that we're confused, or we don't understand, or we are hurting, or we don't have all of the answers. We're feeling far from perfect on the inside, and we want to know, is that okay to feel that way? And excuse me if I've just gotten a little personal, but right now in this season in ministry, I have never experienced anything like this in my life, and neither have my colleagues that I have uh, been chatting with. Friends, there are days when I just want to scream, I don't know, or please don't judge me without talking to me, or I'm scared to death that our giving and our attendance is down because of the denominational struggles or worse when it becomes super personal and I start stressing, maybe it's because of me. Never have I had to face such humbling challenges. Never have church leaders or the church needed God's grace more. And in the midst of it all, I look at the church and worry that maybe it's becoming increasingly irrelevant in the world, that it looks good on the outside, but we've lost our way on the inside, failing to make the case of why being part of a community of believers brings life, not emptiness. So where is the grace in this text, in this letter? Where is the good news that Jesus offers the church at Sardis? You see, it tells us that there are some in the community that aren't just going through the motions. That there are some in the community who can remind the others of why following Jesus is important, why it's a blessing, why it's a source of power. So Max Dupree was a CEO of a very innovative Fortune 500 company um, several years ago called Herman Miller. He also wrote books on leadership, and so people asked him to speak about uh, leadership. He also was board chair for um, Fuller Seminary for over 40 years. And one time at one of these speaking engagements, someone asked him, what is your greatest struggle personally? the most difficult thing that you have to work on personally. Max's response was, it's the interception of entropy. What the heck is entropy, right? Entropy is a term from physics that has something to do with the second law of thermodynamics and the availability of energy. So you scientists out there, be kind to me, all right? This is not my field. But from what I understand, um, it's a, there's a fact in the universe that the universe is winding down. 
It's the idea that everything left to itself has a tendency to deteriorate. So think about a campfire, for example. You get it started, wood gets transformed into a source of energy and heat, right? So warmth is shared, food can be cooked, water can be boiled, light is given off in the darkness. But what happens to that fire if it's left to itself? It will eventually burn up and die out and there's no more energy left to give away. The entropy stabilizes and there's no more energy readily available to be used. Entropy. It's not only one of the great enemies of the universe, but it's also a great enemy of the human spirit. A person becomes apathetic or complacent and settles for the path of least resistance in some area of life. Dreams die. Hopes fade. A terrible thing happens. A person learns they can actually live with mediocrity. A church settles for mediocrity, and the energy that once lit the fire within fades. Every day you have to be on the lookout for entropy. Though things may have been okay yesterday, that doesn't mean that they stay okay forever. Put any important area of your life on autopilot, and we risk entropy that is both subtle and yet can also be destructive. But Revelation's warning to Sardis offers us grace. Jesus reminds them and us to remember what they have received, which is a belief in Jesus Christ, and let that change their hearts and lives in verse 3. Being faithful to Jesus keeps you alive on the inside, able to cling to Jesus in the difficult times and able to proclaim Jesus during those times of comfort and complacency. So in 1992, a Los Angeles parking corrections officer found a brown El Camino, I mean El Dorado uh, Cadillac illegally parked. So doing his job, he wrote up a citation and completely ignored the person at the driver's wheel, slapped the $30 citation on the dashboard. The driver didn't argue back at all about the ticket, and with good reason. He passed away 10 to 12 hours earlier. But the officer was so focused on writing up the ticket, he didn't even notice that anything was wrong because the body was stiff, it was sitting up, and it was slunched forward a little bit. So the officer actually got in his car and drove away. Many people around us are dying on the inside from loneliness, from pride, from sin that's eating away at themselves. What should catch our attention is the need of others, not the offense. They don't need a citation, y'all. They need a savior. We need a savior. So you see, the whole point of these letters is calling the ones that Jesus loves back to him. People of Sardis, people of Boone. It's a call to repent 
But this repentance, it's not meant in a chiding, you have royally screwed up kind of way. No. It's meant as an opportunity to fully live into Christ's hope for our lives. We have been given all that we need to live fully in and through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who has conquered our enemies already. And when we claim him, Jesus claims us. And when that happens, there is no way that our spirit or our church can be dead. Oh, for the world to see Boone UMC and each one of you as a living, breathing disciple filled with God's spirit. No facade, no need to be woken up. We beg Jesus to change our lives and our hearts and let us be alive and well. Lord, let it be so. Amen.